This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. It's good to see you all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going to get started in a moment. I first want to say thank you to you for coming out. I want to say thank you to the amazing staff at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful Lunch and Learn. And I want to thank the amazing folk over at TorahAnytime.com. It's an app. It's a website. And it's filled with over a quarter of a million hours of incredible Jewish content. So if you're ever bored and you have a quarter of a million hours to kill, just head on down there and check it out for yourself. Okay, this week's Torah portion is Parshas Vayigash. And what I'd like to talk about today is hoarders. (laughs) Hoarders is a problem, right? Sometimes there gets to be so much stuff in the house that it can become dangerous. They have TV shows about it. That's not the kind of hoarders I want to talk about today. I want to talk about emotional hoarders. What are emotional hoarders? What are they hoarding? Okay? Grudges. Grudges. Not only, though. Interestingly enough, you're right. That is one kind of emotion that you can hoard and hold on to until it gets to be suffocating. But there are other emotions that people hoard. I will give you a scenario. And you will see that there is some emotional hoarding going on. Every year, you're the one who makes the Hanukkah party for your friends or for your family or whatever it is. And it is a lot of work. It really is. You got to spend, first you, you go over the agonizing conversation. Who are we inviting this year? Who are we not inviting? Okay, fine. And then you do all the invitations. Then you got to start buying the food. And then there's the making of the latkes. If you make homemade latkes, it's a lot of work. An incredible amount of effort. You're spending, if you're making homemade latkes for a proper Hanukkah party, it's three hours over multiple frying pans at once. And then the latkes just disappear. <laughs> Breathed down people's gullets. It's unbelievable. Good homemade latkes, nothing like them. You get some, some applesauce on top, you get some sour cream. This week, this year we found a new one. There's like a Greek yogurt with like, I don't know, it's like a, it's like a Greek yogurt. And it's, mmm, tzadiki it's called, something like that. I don't know, whatever it is. But it was very good with our latkes, new discovery this year. So you spend, and then besides the homemade latkes, which ends up costing you three hours of your time and singeing all your hair off your forearm, you also make a soup. Maybe a butternut squash soup. And then on top of that, you make maybe lasagna. Maybe you make whatever. You, you make a whole, you'll make a whole deal. And you come up with a you know, theme for the uh, you know, Hanukkah present switching or whatever. It's a lot of work. As one of the guests is about to leave, they say, Laby, thank you so much. I know this was so much work and you invited us and we really, really enjoyed it. And I say, ah, it's nothing. What what do you mean it's nothing? It wasn't nothing. Or people say sometimes, Rabbi, I really enjoyed your classes so much. Is there something I can give to maybe show my appreciation? I get that question all the time. And I just say, no, no, don't worry about it. It's emotional hoarding. I'm kidding, by the way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, the answer is gift stucca in my behalf. That's the answer. But um, a lot of times we just we don't accept other people's gratitude. Ah, don't worry about it. It was nothing. Someone's trying to express their appreciation to you. They want to be able to... Expressing appreciation is a way of filling a gap, filling a void. Let me explain to you what I mean. There's human hierarchies. You start off, we're all on the level playing field. Okay? Now you do me a big favor. Now, I kind of, I feel like I I owe you. I'm way below you right now because you've done this incredible kindness to me. Now, interestingly enough, really, all that, the most important thing that I can do is to properly express my gratitude. Because the reason why you did this kindness for me, let's say my wife just had a baby and you made me dinner. The reason why you made me dinner and my family dinner after my wife had a baby was not because 
You want us to make you dinner tomorrow night? Because you want to show that we care about you. You're part of the community. We notice. We're there. We're here to help. Thank you. Whatever. that. So what's the best way you could show appreciation? By writing a nice, heartfelt thank you card. Maybe even being a little personal. The lasagna you sent was just unbelievable. And this butternut squash soup. Wow. Angelic. But the latkes. I don't even believe those were made by human hands. <laughs> I'm going to open up an investigation in witchcraft into your house. There's no way those latkes were natural. Right? You just, you, you lay it, and you give the person, the, and that's what they want to hear. They just, they want to be appreciated. Sometimes we don't allow others to express their appreciation to us. Ugh, don't worry about it. It was nothing. No, it wasn't nothing. You put in the effort. You put in the time. And now the person's trying to express their appreciation to you. But you don't let them. Which means that now you're going to emotionally hoard that disparity. They're trying to like climb back up. They feel now like they're lower. You've done something big for them. They feel like uncomfortable. The least they can do is show their appreciation to try to bring them up to parity. But you're not letting them. Nothing was nothing. Don't mention it. No, no, no. I, I would like to mention it. I would like to say thank you. I want to express my appreciation. The I want to read to you a fascinating medrash that talks about, actually, ironically, Hashem commanding the Jewish people to light the menorah. This is not the Hanukkah menorah. This is the menorah that lit in the temple. So... The Medrash tells us like this. Hashem says to the Jewish people, I want you to light lights for me the way I lit lights for you. What does that mean? When the Jewish people were leaving Egypt, God traveled before them with a pillar of fire by night. A massive pillar of fire, it was dark, we were in the desert, we were afraid, we had just recently escaped, we knew the Egyptians were coming after us. It's scary when you're in the dark, both literally and figuratively. So what did God do? God lit up the entire night for us with a pillar of fire by night. And indeed, throughout the desert, God kept that pillar at night. So God says, now I want you to do me a favor. I want you to light up my house. I'm going to ask you to light a menorah. I've got a house. It's called the tabernacle, the temple, the mishkan. I want you to light me a menorah in that tabernacle. I want you to light up the the night for me, so to speak. And the Medrash gives a very interesting parable. Imagine the following. There's a blind man walking along the road late at night. And he's stumbling his way, you know, and a man comes to him and says, Sir, I don't know if you, I'll, I'll help you guys out, by the way. If you ever need to lead somebody who's blind, what do you give them? Your elbow. Did you know that? Yeah. Their elbow. You give them your elbow. That's, that's, the most of, that's actually the help. It helps them the most. If you give them your hand, your hand is too far out from your body, and it's hard to understand. They're trying to mimic where you're at and where you're pivoting. They actually, the, the best way to telescope where you're at is you give them your elbow. Just recently, I was at the Kotel, and I saw a blind man walking away from the Kotel. So I rushed up, and I said, <laughs> I don't know, actually, I didn't know how to say elbow in Hebrew. There was two body parts. I wasn't sure which. There's Marpek, and there's, yeah, there, there's Marpek. And I wasn't sure is Marpek an elbow or a chin. So I, Now, I have a good Israeli accent, actually, because I, I speak a, a decent Hebrew, and I try to keep my Hebrew sharp by constantly speaking as frequently as I can. So I have a pretty decent Israeli accent. I walk over to these two Israelis and I say to them, <laughs> like, I, I, I said to them, like, is, is the, and I'm, I'm saying it like I sound like an Israeli. And they're like, what kind of weird person is coming over to you? It says, is your elbow here or here? Because I said to them, is your elbow, the word marpek, they're like, they're like, po. Like, so I got the word right. The word was marpek. But anyway, it was just funny to me to walk over to somebody, is your elbow here or here? They're like, it's here, buddy. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Can I get you something to drink? Do you need some water? <laughs> Maybe you should sit down for a little bit. So I ran over to this uh, the blind gentleman, and I said to him, you know, can, I, can I give you my, my elbow? 
But then right as I was talking to him, his granddaughter came up and she promptly gave him her elbow. Okay? So there's this, there's this blind man walking around at night and suddenly someone kindly sees him and says, Sir, can I please, can I give you an elbow and I'll, I'll be happy to lead you, you know, back to your place. And they both live, they're both staying in the same hotel, whatever it is. No, no, sorry. I'll, uh, so he, they, he leads him back to his place and the, yeah, they both stay in the same place. And the blind man says, let me quickly light the candle for you. Now the blind man, of course, doesn't need the candle, because his life is eternally dark, at least visually eternally dark. Why is he lighting the candle? It's the human tendency to say, you helped me out, you led me home, now I want to do you a favor, can I at least light the candle for you? We walked into the house, it's dark, it's nighttime, can I light the candle for you? God doesn't need a candle from us. But God tells us that we should light the candles for Him and light up His house, even though He doesn't need candles to light up the way for Him, because He did us a favor. He lit the way for us for all the years we were in the desert. And now God is giving us the opportunity to say thank you. And on this, the Baalei Musr, the ethical experts, specifically Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, says, he says a fascinating thing, if you want to do a complete favor for somebody, after you do them that favor, ask of them something small. Okay, so you, um, let's say you, uh, you just made dinner for somebody who just is, going, is not feeling well. So you made them a whole dinner, right? And you come over and you visit with them, you bring it in a box, and you start unpacking, and they're overwhelmed. You did them such a kindness. Right? So what do you say to them when, you, when you're finished dinner? You say, do me a favor. Do me a favor. I, uh, I forgot the phone number for, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I was trying to think of random names. I was like, Kyle. And then after I thought of Kyle Rittenhouse, okay. Not Kyle Rittenhouse. You probably don't have Kyle Rittenhouse's number. You say, I forgot, um, Frank. Zappa's. <laughs> I forgot Frank Smith's phone number. <laughs> I forgot Franklin Lloyd Wright. Okay, fine. Anyway. <laughs> okay, you say to the guy, I, say, I said, I forgot, uh, I forgot. Yankel Goldstein's phone number. Can you, do you have his phone number? And the guy says, sure. And he pulls out his phone. He says, it's 248-782-9461. Oh, thank you so much. Now, really, you didn't need Yankel Goldstein's phone number. Why did you ask him for it? Because you want to give him the chance to give back. The biggest kindness that you could do for somebody is when you give them the chance, immediately after you do them a kindness, your biggest your kindness concludes with you giving them the opportunity to give back. So they feel good. They don't feel like they're a total taker. They don't feel like they're a net taker in this experience. You gave me a little, I gave you a little. It feels better. And the review, Rucham Levavit says it, and we learn it from Hashem. Hashem says to the Jewish people, you light the lights for my house. Why? Hashem doesn't need our lights because He wants to give us a good feeling. He lit our way for all these years in the desert, and now we, we light Him also. We light his house, his house for Him too. We, you know, we were the blind man. He, lit, he helped us out the whole way, and now we light the house, for, house lights for Him. So that's one example of where the best way to be is to be a non-emotional hoarder. If someone you did somebody a kindness and they want to thank you, allow them to. So they come to your house after the Hanukkah party, and they say, thank you so much, I know you worked so much on this. You say, you're so welcome. It was a lot of work, and I appreciate your, you appreciating that. And it was all worth it. Right? So you validate, and you give them the opportunity to show their thanks and appreciate you. And by the way, if you can just clear the whole table and uh, wash the dishes and do the floor, I, I just want to give you an opportunity to feel like you did something too. <laughs> Okay, in this week's Torah portion, we have another version of it that goes the other way. Here's another example of emotional hoarding. You do me a wrong. You did, you did something really, really wrong to me. Let's say, for example, you besmirched my name. 
Okay? And you told people, like, ugh, maybe. The guy can't stop talking. He loses his train of thought all the time. Wait, where was I? <laughs> right? You, uh, you make fun of me and you disparage me. And it hurts me. Maybe you even said something. I was about to get flown out to another city to do a speaking, you know, to, to talk over there, to give a talk or two. And you spoke to one of the rabbis. They're like, yeah, he's not, he's not top tier. He's like third or fourth tier. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize. Okay, fine, we won't hire him. And then you feel really bad. You feel really bad. So you come to me and you say, Lady, I want you to know I'm so sorry. I say, well, what? You say, I, uh, I disparaged you. You know, I was speaking, I was in Atlanta, and the rabbi said, oh, you're from Detroit. We're thinking about bringing the rabbi out here. And I said, no, he's second or third, he's third or fourth tier. And I think they didn't end up going with you in the end. Now here's an opportunity for me to get, do some emotional hoarding. What do I say? Ach, don't worry about it, nothing. Nah, there is nothing. It's not nothing. It's real. I'm probably reeling when you say that to me. Why would you say that about me to somebody else? Like, it's just so mean-spirited. Like, why? But I want to make it look like I'm this like, tough guy and I can't be, ach, don't worry about it, it's nothing, I don't care. No, I, I do care. But when I say, no, it's nothing, don't worry about it, I don't care, now I get to emotionally hoard, because you have not given me a proper I'm sorry yet. And now you're left feeling rotten and horrible, because I didn't even countenance your apology. I just, don't worry about it, it's nothing. And you know it's not nothing, and I know it's not nothing. So now, the apology which was meant, and it was said sincerely, and was meant to try to reconcile that gap, because we were both at parity, we were both equal, and then he made fun of me, and now he's way down here because he, he did something wrong. He besmirched another person. He spoke Lashonara about me. And now he's all the way down here and he's trying to apologize and try to bring us back up. And I'm like, don't worry about it, nothing. So he doesn't get the opportunity to do that. Now he feels left down here and I'm still up here. Emotional hoarding. I'm hoarding the gap between us. What's the proper way? Well, the proper way is to recognize that there is a real thing here. That there was a wrong that was done. But then after that, to try to minimize the guilt that the other person should feel. You say, okay, I, I, you know, that is really hurtful. And I'm sorry that, you know, it's painful to hear that you said that, but I'm glad that you came over and that you apologized. You know, if maybe you want to give him a call and say, really, he's topped here. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't say that. I say, okay, it, it really was hurtful to hear that, but you know what? I'm glad that you came over, and I'm glad you said something. I do apologize to you, and listen, I probably, I probably wouldn't have gotten the gig anyway. Don't worry about it. Okay? So there, I acknowledged the, appreci- I acknowledged the sorry, and I even go a step further where I try to help him minimize his feelings of guilt. It takes a big man to do that. When I'm hearing someone else apologize for what they did wrong, my instinct is to want to try to like stick it and gut them as much as possible. You said that about me? And, but no, a really big man would be like, I hear you, it, it is hurtful to hear that, and, and thank you for coming over me and telling me that you, you, know, that you apologize. I forgive you, and, and, and don't worry about it. I was probably not going to get that job anyway. Quick stop for our a word from our sponsor, the creator of all things, Shachol Niyam Devaro, he who makes everything with his words. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam. Shachol Niyam Devaro. So, we see that with Yosef in this week's Torah portion. The brothers. <coughs> are totally speechless. They're literally speechless. When Joseph reveals himself to them, right? Joseph is now the second in command in all of Egypt, and his brothers come, and there's the whole story with the cup and Benjamin. And the bottom line is, he hauls them all out there, 
And they're all professing that they care so much about their father's feelings and what will it do to their father if Benjamin doesn't come home? And Joseph just calls them out for real. He's like, well, why were you not concerned when you sold me into slavery and brought a a blood-dipped coat to my father and said that his most beloved son was killed? Why, Why were you not concerned about your father then? And this is Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. And it's so painful to the brothers that they literally cannot speak. <clears throat> but then, after that, he says, look, come close to me. And he said, look, I am Joseph, your brother. It is me who you sold to Egypt. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it was nothing. No, it was. It was a really painful chapter in my life. However, I'm accepting your apology, and now, don't be distressed, don't reproach yourselves for having sold me here, for it was, a, it was to be a provider that God sent me ahead of you. You had your plan, God had His plan. In general, whenever you do something wrong to somebody, the biggest wrong is that you wanted to do wrong to them. Whether you're successful or not is not in your hands. The same way if you want to do a good deed... But then you don't get the opportunity to do it, but God says, all I care about is what you wanted to do because I'm the one who decides whether you'll be successful at what you endeavor to do or not. The Egyptians are punished, when it says by, by Jethro, the Egyptians are punished, the Egyptians are punished because of what they plan to do. God already said to Abraham that your children are going to go into a land and they're going to be enslaved and uh, afflicted for many, many years, and they're going to come out. There'll be great wonders and great wealth when they come out. God already told Abraham that this was going to happen. Why are the Egyptians punished so severely? They gleefully wanted to do it. They could have wanted to do it and it wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't God's plan. But they wanted to do it. The same thing over here. Yosef is saying, look, at the end of the day, you may have wanted to do evil to me, but... That's all that I'm holding you accountable for because the fact that I ended up here, that was God's plan for a different reason, that I should be here. I should be able to support the whole family. So that is an important lesson in emotionally healthy relationships. Don't be an emotional hoarder. If someone wants to express gratitude to you, accept it graciously. If someone wants to do something, let them do something small. A lot of times people come to my house for Shabbos. And they say, what can I bring? Now, a lot of times I just say, just bring an empty stomach and a big smile. Because I'm concerned sometimes that I end up getting, people bring non-kosher food all the time. People bring, I've had people bring me non-kosher cakes, holiday cakes, (laughs) fruit cakes. I've had people bring me non-kosher wine. Like, yeah, I've literally had people come to my house and bring me non-kosher wine. St. Julian's, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) they make a kosher wine too? Yeah, they do, but I think there's only one. Mm -hmm. Yes, Julian's do. The non-kosher one. (laughs) Mondavi. (laughs) Anyway, people, so like, it it gets to be a little bit uncomfortable, you know, what, so like, a lot of times, if I don't, and also there's, there's halachic questions if someone's coming to my house on Shabbos and they're bringing it in their car, if they're, there gets to be, so a lot of times I'll just say, you know, just bring a smile and an empty stomach. But, if possible, I, I like to, if someone's really, you know, I'll say, oh, you know what, you could bring dessert, just pick up a seven layer cake from Siemens, you know, whatever it is, or bake station, right? Or I'll say, you just, you know, you could bring a bottle of wine, just please make sure it's Mavushal, you know what I'm saying? So there are times when I'll say that because people want to feel they're going to come to the house, they're going to have a Shabbos meal, it's going to be hours of food, and an incredible amount of work goes into it, and they want the opportunity to feel like they've contributed. Give them that opportunity. Don't be an emotional hoarder. Give people the opportunity to give, to feel like they're part of the thing. Sometimes, again, also when we're doing a party, someone says, can I bring something? Yeah, great. You can bring the uh, water bottles. <laughs> they, like, give people the opportunity to feel like they're part of it. They want to. Okay. That's... And when, on the flip side, when someone's apologizing, don't say it's nothing because it's not nothing. Be real. Be authentic. Say, yeah, that was really hurtful. 
That, it really was hurtful. But you know what? I, I appreciate that you came over. I appreciate that you're apologizing. And, you know, this must have been God's plan. Okay, so that is lesson number one for today. And now I'm going to go to the second one, even though it's not what I had in order for second, because this is just a, such a great, cool story. Okay? Listen to this amazing one. Listening to this amazing idea. Okay, get your math heads on. Get your math heads on. Okay, listen to this story. The Evan Ezra was a, a great rabbi for many, many hundreds of years ago. And they once came to him, there were people were complaining about the terrible things that the Jews were going through at the time. And we, you could definitely hear echoes, right? In today's day and age, obviously after the Holocaust, everyone had the question, you know, how could there be a God if there's a Holocaust? And today, after October 7th, I've heard people asking this question. So, the Ibn Ezra said to them the following, this is fascinating, the Ibn Ezra said the following, okay guys, two men are walking along the road, and they each have some pita breads. One has two loaves, two pitas, and one has three. And as they're walking, a third man is also walking around along the road. He says, hey, can I walk with you guys? It's always safer with a crowd. They say, for sure. After about an hour or two of walking, they become very friendly. They say, you know what? We're stopping for lunch. You know, and both of them say, why don't you come and join us? We'll split all of our bread. There's plenty, plenty to go around. So, oh, that's so kind of you, no problem. So they all sit down to lunch, and they eat their bread. I hope there were some dips. Maybe there was a soda machine, they got some Diet Coke Zero. I don't know, I wasn't there. But they ate the five loaves of bread. As they get to the final destination, they get to the city, the third man who joined them pulls out a $5 bill and says, gentlemen, I know that you were not expecting anything in remuneration. However, I really appreciate that you shared your bread with me so generously. Please accept this from me. And he gives them the $5, and he walks away. And now, a little bit of a fight breaks out. The guy who had the three pita bread says, look, man, I had three breads, you had two, he gave us $5. I'll take three, you take two. And the other guy says, no, 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 dude, 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 dude. He was just happy that we invited him for lunch. We both gave of our bread. We both were generous with him. We split this 50-50. Okay, now who here thinks it should be split two and three? Raise your hand, please. Nobody? Okay, who here, who here thinks it should be split 250-250? Does anybody have any other opinions? Okay, What? Give it to Tzedakah. No, stop with that. Give it to Tzedakah. Stop with that. Oh, oh. They can give it to You come to a rabbi and ask a halachic question. It's nice to give Tzedakah. That's not the halachic answer, my friends. You guys are too kind. You guys are too kind. Okay. They go to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, we're going to split it 4-1. The guy who had three breads gets four and the guy who had two breads gets one. And everyone starts laughing at the Ibn Ezra. Right? What are you, what are you crazy, Rabbi? No, he didn't even ask for four to one. He was only asking for three to two. What are you talking about? So the Ibn Ezra says, let me show you why. Listen to this bread, so brilliant. <coughs> he said, the three of them sat down for lunch together and they shared five loaves. Now, just to make it, a, you know, make it easier to do the proportions, let's times everything by three. Okay? So now you have 15 portions. Okay? Each loaf was made up of, call it, three portions. 
So there's 15 portions. How much did each one of them eat? Five. There were three people, 15 portions. Each one ate five portions. Now, the guy who gave three loaves of bread, how many portions did he give? Nine. The guy who gave two loaves of bread, how many portions did he give? Six. Each one of them ate five of their own, leaving over the five in the middle, four of which was given by the guy who had three loaves of bread and gave nine portions, and one of which was given over by the guy who gave two loaves and ate five out of the six portions himself. So it should be split four to one. And the people are looking at the rabbi and they're like, wow, we never would have thought of that. And then he says to them, and you think you could decide how God should run the world? Right? You can't figure out how to split the $5 after a guy got lunch from two people walking on the road. You think you can figure out how to run the world? We are so limited. We are so... Our, 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 our ability to see depth and, 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 and wisdom are so limited... We have to be able to have faith in Hashem. Yosef was sold. He was kidnapped by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was thrown into a pit for another 12 years for not wanting to defile himself with a promiscuous act. So he, can you imagine? And what does he say after all this? No, no, no it's all, it was all part of God's master plan. So many times... The people who went through the tsaras, the people who went through the difficulties, they can't see. <clears throat> anybody who went through the Holocaust, there's no, there's no explaining, there's no explaining to anybody who went through the Holocaust. What do you explain to them? They watched the most horrific things we, human beings could imagine. But we know that the Jews are still here. We know that right after the Holocaust, there was ushered in a, a 70-year period of incredible, incredible probably unprecedented Jewish success. We don't understand the big picture. We can't figure out how to split the $5 the man gave for his lunch. And we're going to think we can decide how God's going to run the world. Yosef says, this is all part part of God's plan. It's not mine to figure out. Okay, that's idea number two. Idea number three. After Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, first of all, I just saw I saw another point today. It just it's just a uh, like a oh I never thought of that before. Point, so I'm going to throw that out there. Okay, so what happened? So he says. Um, and don't be distressed, don't reproach yourselves for having sold me here, for it was to be a provider that God sent me ahead of you. God, God had this whole thing planned out. For this has been two years of the hunger in the midst of the land, and there's yet five more years of hunger, which there shall be neither plowing nor, nor harvest. Thus God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival in the land and to sustain, sustain you for a momentous deliverance. And now, <clears throat> it was not you who sent me here, but God he has made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler throughout the entire land of Egypt. Hurry, go to my father, say to him, so said your son Joseph, God has made me a master over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You will reside in the land of Goshen, and you will be near me, you, your sons, your grandchildren, your flock, and your cattle, and all that is yours. And I'll provide for you there, for there will be four, five more years of famine. So you won't become destitute, you and your household, and all that is yours. Behold, your eyes see as do, as do the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that's speaking to you. Therefore tell my father all my glory in Egypt and all that you saw, but you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Vayipol al binyamin binyamin al And Benjamin wept on his neck. Now, first of all, that Rashi here brings down a very interesting thing. It says that when Joseph was weeping on the neck of his brother, it, it says the word necks. 
like N-E-C-K-X, uh, not X. <laughs> I'm thinking next, N-E-X-T. No, it, it says next, N-E-C-K-S. That's right, Burnham, tier three. <laughs> tier one, people get it right always the first time. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, it says the word next, N-E-C-K-S. Joseph wept on the necks of Benjamin. And Binyamin wept on the neck, in the singular, of Joseph. And Rashi brings out a fascinating thing. Rashi brings a medrash that Joseph was weeping on the neck of Benjamin for the two temples, the two Bate Mikdashos that were going to be built on Benjamin's portion and were going to be destroyed. And, jo- and, and Binyamin wept on the neck of, on the neck of, uh, of Yosef he was weeping for the Mishkan, uh, which was going to be built, the tabernacle, which was going to be built and was going to be destroyed on the, uh, in the portion of Joseph. What's the deal that they're crying on each other's destructions now? And, and the answer is, one of the answers that they say, is that they knew that the greatest force that's going to tear the Jewish people apart, the force that's going to cause the most destruction, is going to be baseless hatred. They just watched how baseless hatred caused the brothers to sell their own brother, almost kill him. And all this whole thing that happened right now, with Joseph now ending up as the king, or the second in command, and the bro- that whole thing happened because they hated their brother. And they realize this is going to be the biggest wedge that's going to break the Jewish people apart and eventually send them into this never-ending exile, which we are in right now. Second temple was destroyed because of sinas chinam, because of baseless hatred. What's the solution to baseless hatred? How do you get out of baseless hatred? Let's say there's somebody in your shul who's just annoying. And I'm assuming there probably is someone in your shul who's just annoying. Right? What do you what do you like what do you want? I just he's annoying. I don't like him. I don't like him. Hate him. Okay, I hate is a strong word, it's a four-letter word, but I really, 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 really don't like him. The guy is obnoxious. The guy won't be quiet, he's always, you know, talking over people, he's always looking to pick a fight. All he wants to do is talk about this politics and that politics and this person. I don't like the guy. What do you want from me? How do I get that baseless hatred out of me? I don't feel it's baseless. I feel like I have a good reason for hating him. How do I get out of that? What do I tell my children when my children tell me they're being picked on in school? Let's say some of my kids have a bully in their class who's picking on them. What do I tell my kids? What I tell my kids is, I say, listen, Frank, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't have any kids named Frank. <laughs> I say, Benjamin or Yisrael or Namzi. I say, guys, listen up. Remember the rule. Hurt people, hurt people. I don't know what's going on in that bully's life. But if they're mean enough to do that to you, they must be going through a lot of pain. They must really, really not be comfortable. They must really, really not be happy. Because people who are just happy with life and appreciative, they don't go around cutting other people down. So hurt people hurt people. Yosef recognizes, what is the solution to baseless hatred? How do I not hate that guy in Shul who's so annoying? I look at him, I'm like, this guy is hemorrhaging. He's hemorrhaging all over the place. He's so filled with self-loathing. He's so filled with low self-esteem that, of course it comes out. It looks like he's making fun of other people. But can you imagine what it must be like to be him? I feel so bad for that guy. He's a wounded, broken little bird who's flapping their wings trying to make themselves look scary because they're afraid 
That's what, he's a pathetic, broken person. I, I should hate him. I should feel sorry for him. I should feel his pain. He's not acting like that because life is so great and he's just filled with joy and happiness in his life and because of that he's just so mean to everybody and so nasty to everybody. He's bleeding out. It looks like being critical and being obnoxious and being arrogant, but really what it is, he's just so broken. How do we fix? You know what happens when we have baseless hatred? We have brothers selling each other into slavery. We have temples being destroyed. What's the solution to baseless hatred? Cry on your brother's necks or neck. Not realistically, figuratively. They'll find it weird if you do it realistically. I'm so sorry. Let me just cry on your neck for a moment. (laughs) Feel their pain. Understand what they're going through. And if you don't know, know that it's there because the you see the result of it. Feel the other person's pain and then you're not going to be hating them. You're going to be feeling bad for them and wanting to help them. The way you fix baseless hatred is by crying over other people's tsaras, not your own. You can complain all day long about your tsaras. It's going to do nothing for you. But think about what other people are going through. Think about their tsaras. Cry about their korbanos. Cry about their destruction. And then suddenly you'll find that there's a lot to do in this world. A lot of love to give, a lot of healing to perform. A lot of support to offer. And you go from hating people to trying to lift people up. And you go from a situation of destruction to a situation of rebuilding. So that is another important point from this week's Torah portion. Now the next one I gotta say is I wasn't sure should I say it or not because I'm like the crowd that I'm speaking to is surely not guilty of this. So I'm like ah I don't know if I should say it but it was just such an interesting thing to see such an interesting topic and what you really see there's a phrase the sages say hafochba vafochba dekulaba which means flip through it and flip through it because everything is in it everything's in the Torah you can find anything and everything in the Torah. So I literally was thinking, should I talk about it today or not? And I'm driving home to just go get my recorder. And, and what do I see? In the middle of the street on Balfour Road is like a Burger King bag and uh, a napkin from like a Burger King burger or something. It's on the street in the middle of Balfour Street. Did any of you guys leave that here, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. See me after class. <laughs> okay, listen to this amazing idea. Joseph tells them to go up to their father. Okay? He wants to bring his father down. There's a famine going on. Two years have passed. There's five more years. And he wants them to go get their father. He says, oh, interestingly enough, I'm just going to, this is the point that actually I was going to say before, that's just an interesting point. It says, so Yosef gave them wagons, according to the command of Paro, and he gave them food for the way. For each man he gave one change of clothing, and to Binyamin, he gave 300 silver coins and five changes of clothing. Now, first of all, we can get into a different time, maybe. Why would he treat one of the brothers unlike the others, if that's maybe what caused him to get hated in the first place, that Yaakov treated him better and gave him a special tunic? Why is he doing the same exact thing to his brother after he knows that what, what kind of suffering it could, it could cause? But why did he give them clothing? Like, Did they not have clothing? <laughs> It's a little bit of a weird thing. You're a wealthy, successful ruler. You've got everything at your disposal. Your brothers are leaving, and you give them clothing. And furthermore, it says, which means changes of clothing. It could just say, 
To each man he gave clothing. And for Binyamin he gave him five garments. The word simla in Hebrew is not in today, modern Hebrew means dress, but in those days it meant garments. It says it changes of garments. So the Chizkuni says, what do you mean? In the end of last week's Torah portion, when they found the silver cup in Joseph's bag, and they realized they were about to get dragged back after being framed for something they didn't do, and Benjamin was going to be a slave, it says, and they all ripped their clothing as a sign of mourning. So he gave them chalifos molos, he gave them changes of clothing. Isn't that amazing? It's a little, like, little detail, like, oh, never made that connection before. Right? I, always, I know he gave them clothing, but why? Because they all ripped their clothing on their way back to, to go stand before he, to Yosef. So he wanted to make sure they would have their dignity back. Okay, anyway, but that's not what I want to talk about. So he said to them, and he sent his brothers and they went, and he said to them, Do not become agitated on the way. Now most people explain this to mean that he said to them, don't get involved in, in deep halachic debates and get engrossed in your conversation. I know that you guys study Torah all the time. You're going to get involved in your halachic conversations. You're going to lose focus. You've got to hurry back. Just, just, just focus. You know what I'm saying? Just listen to the music channel. CD 101.9, you know, smooth jazz. Just get there fast, okay? Don't get into whole conversations, halakha conversations. You'll get engrossed. You'll end up talking about it. You'll go like this, like this, like this. And I saw, I saw a clip from a comedian. He was saying, you know, he's like, all these presidents from the Harvard and Penn and, and MIT, right? You know, Claudine Gay and the other lady who just uh, resigned. He says, they were saying such hateful things, but on the other hand, it sounded like they learned Gemara their whole life. Miss Gay, do you believe it is genocide to, sorry, is, is it a violation of your harassment conduct to call for the genocide of the Jewish people? Well, I don't know. Does he mean like this? Is it word in the context? It becomes, it's like sitting there like, like as if they're studying Gemara their whole life. So if you want to say that the word genocide refers specifically to the actions that will then come after it's all about context. Okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So he says to them, Alter So the, the famous explanation we have is don't get engrossed in halacha conversations. Don't get too much like this for too long. You'll lose focus and you won't get there in time. The Balaturim, one of the great earlier commentators, says, Yesh Mefarshim, there are those who explain, don't say that, oh, now we're related to this big king. And therefore, we could, we could uh, maybe mistreat the roads and trample through other people's fields, right? And they say, oh, meaning don't, basically says, don't treat the road poorly. The words al-tirgazubaderach generally are tra- uh, translated as don't become agitated on the way. But here he's saying, it means al-tirgazubaderach, don't treat the road poorly, don't trample through other people's fields. You say, listen, I'm related to the king, so I can do whatever I want. Now I've got special you know, status. I can do whatever I want. Treat the road with respect. Treat other people's property with respect. And of course, so, <laughs> there's an explanation. People thought that maybe you would think, because now your father is ailing and he's old and you have to get him in a hurry. It's a pikuach nefesh. I might be saving someone's life. There's all kinds of calculations you can make for yourself. Melech Poriz Gedera, a king is allowed to go through any fields he wants. So you might think you have extra license to treat, treat the road poorly. Just because you're related to the king now doesn't mean you get to treat the road poorly. And here it says, such a fascinating idea. It says that, that Yosef here is telling them, don't litter. Don't treat the road poorly. There's a story in the Gemara where there was a, it's in, it's in Baba Kama, it's coming up in the Dafyomi very shortly. There was a person who was, he had a field, and his field was right next to a, like a public road. And he was just tossing out the stones that were in his field that he didn't want and, and throwing them into the public domain. So a rabbi passed by him, a chassid, a rabbi passed by him, and he said to him, you, you empty one. Why are you throwing stones from a piece of property that does not belong to you to a piece of property that does belong to you. And the guy's thinking, what are you talking about? I was throwing it from my property into the public domain. And it was only a few short weeks later when this person had to sell his field because he, he lost a couple of business deals, whatever it was, he was poor. He had to sell his field. 
And he was walking along that same road and he tripped on the stones that he put out. And he realized that's exactly what the man meant. The public domain is everyone's field. That private domain then was mine, but now it's not anymore. You have to treat the public domain just as well, if not better, than you treat your own private domain. And listen to this. This is the key. This is why I know that you guys don't litter. Trust me, I know. I know that the Burger King bag was not any of yours. But, <laughs> listen to this. The Ben Ishchai, which is one of the great uh, Hasidic, Sephardic rabbis of Baghdad, he was he's considered like one of the greatest in the last 500 years. The Ben Ishchai writes something fascinating. The Gemara tells us that two angels accompany us home from synagogue on Friday night, and it is to those angels that we sing the Shalom Aleichem song. But the Ben Ishchai says those two angels don't only accompany you home on Friday night. They accompany you in general. Hashem gives us all two angels to protect us, to walk with us, to be with us. However, says the Ben Ishchai, if you are the kind of person who treats the public property with disrespect, you finish, you know, you finish eating something, you throw it out of your window of your car, you know, you throw out your 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 your, your potato chip bag out of the window of your car when you're finished your potatoes chips and he says those angels run away from you those angels that Hashem has given us to protect us to walk with us at all times for your, those angels that Hashem has commanded us that are there with us to protect us on all of our roads if we treat the public property with disrespect if we litter if we throw out peanut butter, I remember I was, I don't want to even say where I was, but it was a Jewish person sitting in a car. They were sitting in their car. It was a Thursday night. It was a Thursday night, there was a minute and the Jewish people was accustomed to go by Chalant for whatever reason. So they were sitting in their car. There were no seats. So this guy was sitting in his car eating Chalant. And he finished eating it. And he literally, he was at a plate, a plastic plate and a fork. And he just, he just dropped them outside of his window. I'm sitting there, I'm watching, what, what is going on? So, so I went to pick it up. I picked it up, I, I, I said, I'm sorry, I think you dropped this. And I gave it back to him. <laughs> what kind of business is that? How, do you, how can you dare treat a public domain with disrespect and litter? So again, the Balaturim is saying that Yosef's warning to his brothers is don't treat the road with disrespect. Now you've got, a, you've got that gold card you can flash. Huh? I'm brothers with the the viceroy of all of Egypt, you can't tell me what to do. The Balaturim says that Yosef was telling them, respect the road, even so. And the Ben Ishchai says that when someone litters, the angels that Hashem gives them to protect him, say, we're out of here. So, ladies and gentlemen, we won't, we won't litter, that's for sure. We'll keep the angels there. We won't hold emotional hoarding of emotion over people. When they apologize to us, we'll acknowledge that it was hurtful, but that we accept their apology. When they want to give thanks, we'll give them not only the opportunity to properly give thanks and, and, and appreciate that they're giving the thanks, but also give them the opportunity to redeem it by doing something small. And uh, that is it for today. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.